Welcome to Slaking Thirsts, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart, who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. All right, I want to look at this first reading, this story, this awesome story that we all know of David and Goliath. I love the details of the story. I love David's boldness. I love picturing everyone kind of staring at this kid, feeling scared for him and maybe ashamed of themselves for their lack of courage, imagining that how is this kid the only one who has the the boldness to step forward, right? I, I picture the I picture people already digging David's grave thinking like, oh, well, his, this is not going to end well, right? I'm like, I, I just love the details of the story. I love how the story in particular ends, even though it's gory and horrific for eight o'clock in the morning, he's unsheathed his sword from his own scabbard and cut off his head. Yeah, right? I want to give like an ooh-rah instead of the, you know, thanks be to God at the end of that reading. It's just so good. All right, so what's going on with this story? This is not just another or just the original great upset story, although it is. It's not, you know, like the 1980s U.S. men's hockey team from Lake Placid taking down the Soviets, right? David Goliath story. It's, it is that, but it's so, so much more. Nobody saw this victory coming. Nobody could have imagined that David would have um, defeated Goliath. No one saw this coming. That day that they lined up against each other in battle, no one thought that at the end of the day, David would be standing over Goliath's body with his head decapitated. No one saw this coming. This story, it's prophetic. I'll put it this way. It's prophetic and it's paradigmatic. It's prophetic and paradigmatic. Like I was saying yesterday, this this David paradigm, this is the the atypical way is the typical way, right? The way that God moves through salvation history, the people that he chooses, the solutions that he settles upon are these David solutions, right? David, who was the, the smallest, the youngest, the unlikeliest to be anointed king. This is the way that the Lord does things. This is the way the Lord does things throughout salvation history. And this is how he's continued to do things in the age of the church, right? Who would ever think that the blood of the martyrs would be the seed of Christians, who would ever think that someone, you know, as... I mean, think about Maximilian Kolbe. Maximilian Kolbe said of himself, for example, he said that, that Mary reached into the garbage heap and pulled me out and made use of me. Or think of the Lord using St. John Vianney. St. John Vianney, who basically flunked out of seminary because he couldn't learn his Latin, he becomes the patron of parish priests. Gives me a lot of hope. Anyway, so... Or think about, think about all the people that our Blessed Mother has, has appeared to and chosen, these instruments that she's used throughout all of history, like the unlikeliest of characters, the little ones, Juan Diego, Francesco, Jacinta, Lucia, Bernadette. Like, who are these people? They count for nothing. They're like little stones in the hand of heaven, right? This is what the Lord does. He uses the very things and the very people that we think shouldn't be used, ought not be used, to do the things that we can't imagine happening. That's what he does. That's his wheelhouse. And the Lord, here's what he's saying. He's saying to us, you have to learn, you have to realize that I slay giants in ways that you could never fathom. 
I slayed giants in a way you could never dream possible. I slayed giants in ways that you could never do. That's what he does. He's saying, I chose David my servant, right? The least likely from external appearances. He was young. He was handsome. He was a, a little boy, a shepherd. Instead of any of the bigger, older, bigger, stronger brothers, he's saying, I chose him because in the kingdom of God, which is what I'm establishing on earth, in the kingdom of God, power is made perfect in weakness. Majesty is revealed through humility. Bigness and might are revealed through smallness and meekness. Glory is revealed through abasement. Life comes through death. It's an upside-down kingdom. It's an upside-down kingdom where a child leads the armies, a virgin gives birth, and the dead man lives. It's the upside-down kingdom that we have. That's what he came to establish. That, like, the most powerful thing in the universe, it's not sword or spear or scimitar, as David tells Goliath. It's not bombs or guns or nukes. As we would say today, it's not armies or aircraft or warships. It's not soldiers. The most powerful thing in the universe is love. It's the most powerful thing in the universe. Love is what made the universe. Love is what sustains the universe. Love is the reason for the universe. God created all of creation to be a tabernacle where love could dwell. Period. Full stop. Love is the most powerful, and love, love, it makes us weak. It makes us little. It makes us needy and poor and dependent and seemingly pathetic and childlike. Love turns us into mush and goo. <laughs> That's what it does. And the Lord is saying, I need you to see, I need you to understand the, the heavenly logic of a shepherd boy with a single stone taking down the giant because I will, I'm, he's saying, I, I will send, and I did send, a new David, a new shepherd, to take down another giant, the giant, the definitive giant of sin and death and Satan. You don't get bigger than sin and death and Satan. Goliath was nothing compared to these. These were the biggest, baddest giants that walked all of creation and He's saying this, that stones don't kill giants. But we're, that's what we're saying. Stones don't kill giants, we say. Spears kill giants. Swords kill giants. Shields and armor kill giants. Big warriors kill giants. That's what we think ought to kill a giant. And so what does God send? He sends a little baby lying in a manger. What can a baby in a manger do? What can a carpenter's son do? What can a man dying on a cross do? That doesn't look like a warrior. That doesn't look like anything threatening. That doesn't look like a deadly weapon. He doesn't look like anything or anyone who could take down the giants of sin and death and Satan. He looks like he's being taken down by them. But what he is, he's the Father's unsheathed sword held at the hilt, plunged into the heart of the earth. He's the Father's unsheathed sword. That's who he is. He's, he's as Fulton Sheen said, he's the great eagle unfurled on the cross. He's, he isn't a spear. 
He's a heart willing to be speared. It's the unlikeliest of weapons. It's the David paradigm. But he's the stone lodged in the giant's forehead because he is love, because he is the Father's heart. He is sheer vulnerability. Like we, we have to learn, <clears throat> especially in this age of the church, we have to learn what it is that slays giants. Not by playing the game of giants, but by playing the game of Jesus. We have to learn what slays giants. We have to learn what slays dragons because that's what the enemy is. He's a dragon. It's not the weapons of the world. It's the weapons of Christ crucified. Right? What did we just say in that psalm? The Lord is training. The Lord was my rock. He is training my hands for battle, my fingers for war. How, how does he go to battle? How does he go to war? Right there. Fighting with the weapons of Christ crucified, love, patience, forbearance, long-suffering, tenderness, forgiveness, mercy, kindness, trust, littleness, prayer, abandonment. All of these are the stones that we have in our shepherd's bag. There's giants aplenty. There's giants aplenty in our own individual worlds and in the the culture around us. There's plenty of giants and plenty of battles, and we have to learn to fight like God, or we'll never win. We have to learn to fight, God, fight like God. And God chooses the unlikeliest, the unlikeliest of paths. I, can't, I couldn't help, when I was reading again through that story uh, yesterday morning, thinking about the, the story of the Lord of the Rings, Tolkien's great epic drama, and how it wasn't the wizards, it wasn't the elves, it wasn't the dwarves, it wasn't the strongest and mightiest men of Middle-earth who were able to bear the ring of power into Mordor to carry it, to destroy it. It was a little hobbit. It was a little hobbit. Frodo Baggins of the Shire. The one you'd barely notice. The one who was so weak that he was the only one who was strong enough to carry out the mission he was the one who destroyed the ring. In Christianity, it's always the hobbits. It's always the hobbits. It's always the Davids who slay the giants. And giants, they still fall. If and only if we pick up the little things of mercy and love and tenderness and forgiveness and patience, that's how we'll slay the giants. Amen.